when the fat man strikes up the band, you know it is that time of the week. It is time for the best beer conversation going in Australia. It is Radio Brews News. And with me, as always, is my co-host and executive producer, the man who I don't have to pay, I just have to give him a big title, Pete Mitchum. Welcome aboard, Pete. G'day, Matt. G'day, listeners. How are we? Oh, well, I'm very well. I'm very well. And uh, we won't hang around for the listeners to ask, although they have been providing lots of fem- uh, feedback and uh, telling us... Uh, how well they are, and also telling us, well, we seem to be doing a reasonably good job as well, Pete. Yeah, yeah, we've um, we're getting a, a fair bit of feedback, which is good uh, because that's that's what this thing is all about. It's not just you and me chatting to each other. We want to know uh, what the average punters out there know uh, want to know. Um, and a little bit of feedback I received this week was sort of along those lines, um, and in, in a complimentary way that uh, there are a lot of average punters out there who, at the end of the day, want to taste a beer that tastes nice to their palate. They don't necessarily care, you know, uh, how it's been brewed or by who or if it's not quite where they say it was. And I guess that's that's a valid point. Um, hopefully down the track they'll uh, they'll be able to continue their journey with Radio Brews News and learn a little bit along the way and, and, and perhaps those uh, opinions will grow and and. I was going to say fester, but I meant to say foster. So we'll go with foster. <laughs> and I guess that's the point. You know, um, that's the biggest part of the market. People that just want to drink beer, um, and you know, obviously, we'd love to see them drinking um, a little bit more differently, and you know, at least thinking about flavour, if not about provenance and, and, and those sorts of things. But you know, beer is a broad church. Um, beer is a big conversation, and hopefully, we're you know playing a little bit bit of a part in starting that conversation. Yeah, exactly. And choice. Choice certainly comes into it, which I think might sort of uh, come up later on in uh, in this particular Segues quite episode. nicely into, into today's show. Before like we, uh, we, Seamless. We, we might run a little bit of a tease before we do that. We might just sort of uh, have a bit of a chat about things in general. Now, you, you've been you know, getting a little bit of technical uh, information about our podcast and you've got to do a bit of a shout out for somebody who's given you a little bit of advice on yeah, I do. how we can make things. Yeah, there's a guy out there. Uh, I'll give him a three-way plug which sounds terrible, but uh, Dan Summers. <laughs> it, 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 it sounds like something I, I would buy in a brown paper yeah, bag. cut that out. Uh, <laughs> it, um, Dan Summers, uh, he, he has a, a, a podcasts um, called Frozen Summers. He does Frozen Summers beer reviews and he does a little uh, podcast and he gave us a, a point of dissent in, in a couple of directions. So I did promise that I'd give him a plug um, and thank him for his help. Uh, it's Frozen Summers, and you can get that on iTunes at the same place where you can get Radio Brews News. Excellent. He also, Thank you very he also much. wrote I a have... piece for, uh, for the Beer Lover's Guide, so he's a, he's a budding writer as well. He did. He, he entered the Beer Lover's Guide. It was, yep. a, it was a good piece. Well, actually, the, 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 there weren't any bad pieces. Um, no, I very much enjoyed his as well. We might even uh, see if we can get him on the show one day and have a bit of a chat um, and certainly run it on uh, Brews News one day. Um, now, the, I wanted to delve into the grubby world of commercialism, um, <laughs> which again is appropriate. Nice segue into our topic later in the uh, uh, show about tap contracts. But uh, um, yeah, I've had a little bit of a, had a few people ask about the editorial policy on Australian Brews News. You know, we've got a few people that have uh, As come in, do along. Do we have and, one? <laughs> well, we, we, we've got an editorial policy. Uh, I, I'm I'm a writer, not a businessman. It's on um, my to do list. It's on my to do list. <laughs> have had some people come out and uh, offer us, uh, I won't say wads of cash, but certainly uh, money to 
um, they like what we're doing and they get a little bit of uh, acknowledgement on the website. Um, and with our discussion about uh, contract brewing particularly, um, it came up, people sort of suggested that maybe we shouldn't have uh, one particular advertiser on, on board. Um, I just wanted to say, first of all, that we certainly do welcome advertisers. We've never really gone out of our way to, to sort them, um, but obviously... Uh, Australian Brews News and Radio Brews News take a bit of time and <laughs> as much as we'd love to be independently wealthy and do it for free, it would be nice to at least subsidise that, um, which is what we're about. But the advertisers that we do take on um, certainly don't get to control the message. Um, they, they get to say what they like to say through their ads um, and our readers and uh, people that look and weigh that up and take it as they, as they see fit, but they certainly don't uh, get to change our message. And um, that's one thing I will say, uh, McLaren Vale has come in for a bit of stick, um, both for being involved as advertisers and also their, their contract brewing. And I, you know, I'll leave that to people to decide whether it was fair or not. Um, but the fact that they were willing to let us talk about um, them and they really opened themselves up as a bit of a target as a result of being involved. Um, and, you know, they've not tried to influence the discussion or our coverage of them at all. And, uh, you know, I, I think that shows the backbone um, that Australian Brews News would like to hold itself out as having. Um, so uh, while we're talking about that, if anyone would like to jump on board the bandwagon that is Australian Brews News or Radio Brews News, Pete and I are certainly waiting for your call. That's it. While, um, while it's still trundling <laughs> along slowly and you can jump onto the back of the bandwagon, now is, now is the time they oh, and look, yeah, no, you, you do raise a, an interesting point. We probably should, yeah, uh, give a bit of seriousness too. And that is that uh, at the end of the day, if your money rolls or it folds, you know, we'll, we'll take it. Um, but it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, you have any influence on what topics we discuss or how we discuss them or who we discuss them with. There you go. We cannot be bought. We will not submit to blackmail. Um, now, speaking of uh, of that, we might uh, lead straight into the conversation. No doubt it is going to be very interesting. Um, so uh, now, it has been pointed out to me that in my haste to introduce, uh, I generally say without any further adieu, which would mean without any further goodbyes. What I really mean to say is without any further adieu. So without any further ado, we might look at our topic for today. Today we're discussing a very issue in the world, a very difficult issue in the world of beer. It's the issue of tap contracts. This topic is probably harder than most because it exists in an area where passions run up against hard business, never a place that lends itself to peace and harmony. The issue itself revolves around, revolves around the business arrangements that the larger brewers are able to put in place with publicans where, through a variety of different agreements, they are able to secure majority or near-exclusive tap pourage rights and, dominate or ex- and dominant or exclusive bottle facings in many fridges. In return, publicans uh, have told me that they can receive significant capital injections for their hotels, such as new uh, glycol systems and cleaning contracts, awnings over their beer gardens. Uh, lucrative rebates on every litre of beer that they sell, and even down to things as minor as funding for their website development or even laminating their menus. The benefits to the breweries and the publicans from such arrangements are obvious, but do they come at a cost to consumer choice, and do they hurt the brewing industry by stifling competition and some of the smaller breweries? This has been an issue that we have been pursuing for several years on Australian Brews News, and given the sensitivity of the issue and the emotions involved, it has proved very difficult to get anyone to speak publicly about. So firstly, I'd very much like to thank Lion Nathan for being, being willing to come on today and talk about it. 
It's an issue that is rarely ventilated, and there are a number of stories and anecdotes and possibly ill-informed speculation about what TAP contracts involve, what they are and what they do. And we're very appreciative that Lion Nathan has been willing to discuss it with us for the first time. To discuss the issue, we are, in fact, privileged to be joined by brewer Dr Chuck Hahn. Legend is a word that tends to be overused in modern day life, but if it can be used at all in the brewing industry, it can be used with Chuck. Chuck Hahn got into the brewing industry working for US Brewery Coors, where he spent 10 years. He was headhunted to come to Australia as general manager of uh, brewing at Sydney's Tooths and Resh's Breweries in 1981 and was tasked with a major brewery up- upgrade. Soon after completing that upgrade, however, the brewery was sold to CUB, and like many, Chuck found himself out of a job. After a stint in New Zealand working as a consultant to Lion Nathan, he returned to Australia in 1987 to found the Hahn Brewery and create Hahn Premium Lager. Hitting the market in March 1988, his first beer was an immediate success, winning all manner of critical praise and most importantly, market share. Things seemed promising for the little brewery before Australia lurched into the recession that we had to have, and Chuck's Bank, that had been raining money down on all sorts of projects during the 80s, suddenly found the successful brewery a bad risk and forced its sale to Lion Nathan. After a number of years working for Lion, Chuck convinced the big brewery to give him back the keys to his old brewery, and it was renamed Malt Shovel, and the James Squire label was born. The rest, as they say, is history. Dr Chuck Hahn, welcome to Radio Brews News. Thank you. Sorry, I'm Good to be talking to you again. Yeah. <laughs> Just let me catch my breath after that little. Uh, in, in, <laughs> Quite a lengthy introduction. I almost fell asleep there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry about that. And how are you today? Very good. No, I think the good thing about having brewed beer for so many years, I always enjoy talking about beer and, of course, drinking beer. And that's that's what it's all about. I think it's about uh, uh, free choice of beers today, isn't it? Something like that. Free choice of beers? Yeah, we'll talk about a few things. I also want to, while we've uh, got you on, talk about the Noir Stout. But uh, when we were preparing the... uh, discussion for today i um approached lion nathan just as i've approached uh, cub to put up somebody to speak about it and i have to say that when i was first uh, approaching the two big breweries normally you get to speak to somebody with the glamorous title of brand activation manager or general manager retail chain relationships or something um <laughs> getting uh, you on the show is that part of a big brewery's cunning plan to disarm to disarm us with your niceness <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think it's, it's maybe it's part of our plan just to be uh, just to be genuine and, and authentic. It's the easiest way of saying that, I think. And uh, of course, having been involved in all phases of the the brewing operation, both in the small brewery and, and large breweries, and of course back again now at the Malt Shovel Brewery, uh, I'm probably in a good position to comment um, on almost anything. Excellent. Well, we do appreciate your time. Um, now, look, I, I know it's an issue that um, in, in business there are topics that can always exist in the realm of commercial and confidence, and it can be a little bit difficult to go into specifics um, with it. But can you just tell us a little generally about the sorts of arrangements that brewers enter um, with hotels um, and what the benefit uh, to both the brewery and the hotel is? Okay, I think part of it probably goes back to you know, the complexity of our, our new TAP systems. And a lot of publicans have been, you know, I'm talking, you know, over the last 20 years, switching uh, over from the old temperite systems to uh, chiller plates, uh, uh, glycol-traced uh, pythons, and, you know, fairly sophisticated systems. And all these upgrades cost a lot of money. 
So, so a lot of the publicans, I mean, they say, well, you know, we've had a good relationship uh, with Lion or a good relationship with Fosters. You know, we'll, we'll go to them and see if they'll pay for our system because they can't, uh, maybe they can't afford it. And so we get approached, uh, just putting my larger brewery hat on, we get approached many times from publicans saying, look, um, we want a new system, but we can't afford it. What kind of a deal can we do? So I think that's really kind of the, the basis for it, because if we had the an old the older systems and everything, people were uh, not maybe not needing the extra money to to put those in. Okay, um, that's um, capital investment is one of the things that's often cited, and it's you know glycol systems are very expensive um, things to do. I guess the the, the way you paint it there um, makes it sound like it's very much the uh, publicans coming. Um, to the big brewers and saying, how can you help us out? Um, mm-hmm. And no doubt that happens. But I also know, um, I have a lot of publicans um, tell me that, you know, for example, once their contract is uh, coming to, to an end, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the large yep. breweries are you know, pretty much queuing up outside their door, you know, looking at what sort of inducements can be offered. Um, so it's not always a demand-driven right. a, a, a arrangement. It, 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 it's something that obviously benefits the, the, the big breweries by putting in place. What sort of benefits are there to you in having uh, a, a agreements with, uh, re, with the retailers? Well, I think the, I mean, the thing about, I mean, a lot of them say uh, exclusivity and rear, I think, is a chance that it might be an exclusive arrangement. But I think if the if the brewery ends up making a significant investment, you know, whether they're chasing that outlet or that outlet's chasing them, you know, it's probably uh, 50-50 or whatever on that. But um, they, they they come forward and they, if the brewery make, makes an investment in that to the outlet, they want to, you know, expect some type of return, which in many cases is, is just exposure of their brands. And so they would try to say, look, we, we want 50% of the taps or 60% of the taps or something like that uh, in exchange, you know, for uh, them put, investing capital uh, in that outlet. And and usually, as you were saying, you know, the terms expire. There might be a three or four year, even a five year agreement on that. And then, of course, if another uh, large brewery wants to get in after that, you know, they'll, as you say, they're probably lining up <laughs> and saying, oh, when when can we? What can we offer? Can we offer you more this time, or something like that? Mm-hmm. But does uh, I guess? And, and, sorry, you, and, and, you, you finish. And where, you know, where you run into problems, I think, is that as the market changes, and this is what we've really seen, I think, over the last, uh, you know, especially especially the last ten years, that uh, you know all these small breweries popping up, and we've got something like what was the last count on that, Matt? One hundred and one hundred and eight small breweries in Australia now. And they're all offering some some very good beers, and they're out there trying to get their beers on tap because that's where people try out new beers is on tap. You know, they don't have to; they're just buying one glass of beer. They don't have to be buying a whole six pack or a, a whole case to try it out. And so that's where I think a lot of craft brewers, you know, want to get in there and get their beers on tap. And that's where they run into problems if the if the publican has done a a, a financial deal with one of the larger breweries. And, and they don't have spare attempts. Um, it, it's difficult, and, and and that seems to be where um, the the emotion and the in and the business run in together. I guess I just wanted to go back to the issue of, um, you know, it, I, I guess the, the way you explain it, it's it's the publicans that are asking for these things and that it's helping them out. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've 
been speaking to, to one publican in Brisbane this week who's opening up, or there's a new bar that's uh, opening, and um, the system is there and they're, they're all ready to go. And right, right. Um, the, the story, that they hadn't sought out um, a, a, a TAP agreement, but as soon as word mm-hmm. gets around about venues opening up, um, you know, the, 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 the larger breweries, um, you know, as I said, are on their door. Um, and it, it, the, the way that it's, that it's painted is that it's not so much um, always um, mm-hmm. hotels mm-hmm. asking for assistance. It's the, the, the big breweries looking at shoring up um, their share of the market um, and right, put it, right, putting their right. beers on and, you know, e- even where it's not necessarily sought, um, there are some fairly lucrative um, offers being made that are, are, are very hard to turn up, um, no, sorry, oh. to, to turn down. To turn down, yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you there. I mean, and that's why um, I, I always, I mean, I put my small brewers, independent brewers hat on uh, now, and I, I always, if, if publicans come to me, I say, look, if you can, if you can afford it, you know, uh, on your cash flows and uh, you know, pay for the system yourself, and and so you have that total independence. And as that market changes, where people um, aren't drinking uh, a, a certain mainstream beer anymore, and they're drinking all these craft beers, that leaves you open, you know, to to have all those. And I think a number a number of the boutique bars have have actually gone that way, you know, maintained an independence, and I think it's good on them, you know. It gives them a, a real choice, you know. They can make their own decision. Sure. And you're probably surprised, that- to hear, probably surprised to hear me say that, but you know, I've I've, I've um, you know run small breweries before, and uh, and I know a lot of the uh, the craft brewers, and uh, when they say, oh gee, I can't get my beers on tap, and I said, yeah, you know, that's it's it's a tricky situation unless they're going to try to go out there and, uh, you know, say, look, uh, I'll make a contribution towards that tab or, or something like that. I mean, that's unfortunately, that's, uh, uh, that's where the market is now. Well, and I, for me, that, that's the area that I really want to look at because the market is changing. There are lots of breweries and people's tastes, importantly, after a very long time of breweries coming and going, there seems mm-hmm. to, at least my view, um, be a little bit of a substantial change in um, taste. It's small, but it, it, it seems to be, you know, growing. Um, mm-hmm. And at, at the same time, beer consumption rates are shrinking. Um, you know, the, the, I think it's the lowest level for 60 years. Um, mm-hmm. We've got a, a very consolidated brewing industry where we've got two big brewers who are very aggressively trying to squeeze as much money out of the market as they can to satisfy their shareholders. Um, Mm -hmm. And taps seem to be a real battleground. Um, And an example that I've given in the past is that, you know, in Lion Nathan and CUB battling it out for market share, um, (laughs) that it's almost as if they're like two schoolboys in a uh, uh, playground fighting over an ice cream not noticing that the ice cream itself is melting. Um, the beer market's getting smaller. Um, in, in a quest to lock down taps to give them a business advantage, it, I mean, is that a fair representation of the way that the market sits at the moment? Well, I think it, it's. Um, I mean, as you say, it's very, very competitive. Um, they're, they're fighting uh, for market share, and I think that that's where. Um, us being kind of an independent brewery under a larger brewery, we're able to offer that variety of different beers 
um, to to the customer, whether they, I mean, if they if they have a a supply contract, let's say with uh, with us or with Fosters, uh, where we're able to come in uh, under that, you know, and, and provide our beers and still give them that that flavor, because everyone out there, the consumer really is looking for flavor. And that's why, as you know, the, the craft beer segment has just exploded, you know, over the last uh, five, particularly the last five years. And um, that's where all the growth is. And it's just a matter of how how that's grown. Um, I mean, our, our biggest volume beer right now is our, is our James Squire Golden Ale. And that's about 50% of what we make. And of that, um, about half of that is tap. And that, that just shows you how important... Uh, tap beer is to the craft uh, beer connoisseur. And I don't know if that answers seem- that question, uh, but um. there seems to be a perception out there, I guess, Chuck, that uh, there is a um, a fight going on, I guess, for, for for tap space. And while the perception may be that it's the two big guys trying to force out all the little guys. Um, I think is it is it maybe closer to the truth that it's the the, the two big guys um, trying to keep each other out, and the the little guy I guess is is a bit of collateral damage. And, um, I don't know where they where they go from there. Whether they just need to work harder, uh, but I think I, I can certainly understand as a, a business person uh, in in restaurants that you you have to look after your uh, your bottom line, uh, and I guess the person who offers you the best deal, you know, wins the deal. Yes, um, unfortunately, I think that that happens because the, the they've got to look at their bottom line all the time, and I think um, and and that's why I I talk to small brewers about you know the small breweries are noted for two great things you know for making a great flavor some beer and for going out of business because they've got to be looking after their bottom line and I think that's what the average publican has to be doing he's looking after his bottom line but he has to balance out that with offering the uh, the customers, uh, his consumers, what they really want to drink. I mean, if they want to drink a flavorsome craft beer, he's got to somehow make that available to them and, and have his, his business structured so that he's able to do that. I think that's a real challenge. And my fear, um, as being someone who's passionate about beer, is that that's where things can be going a little bit awry at the moment, um, that you know, in, in the, the heat of the battle for taps, um, and you know, James Squire, Matilda Bay, undoubtedly making some of the best, um, most uh, you know, consistent um, and you know, certainly very flavoursome beers in Australia. But you don't, and we've talked about this issue before, you're... Um, in, in business, you're trying to make beers that uh, are both sessional and flavoursome. Um, and you, you can't service the entire market um, for craft beer. I guess, do as people are looking for things that are different um, and taps being such an important way to introduce consumers to new flavours, if you if, if the, the, the two big brewers have um, extensive control over, over taps, consumers really don't get exposure to some of those new and interesting flavours. But that's that's probably that's a true statement, I think, because um, I mean it, it's a matter of the. I mean, go back about ten years ago, we 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 ran James Squire, we ran Malt Trouble Brewery as an independent brewery, 
you know, we're doing our own distribution. That was part of my agreement with, with Lion to allow us to, to run separately for a, a couple of years to get established. And so we were out there in the market, just like any other small brewer, you know, competing for taps, if you will, uh, with, with both Lion and uh, with Foster's. And, uh, you know, it, it was it was tough going, but um, we were able to establish ourselves based on the the quality and flavor of our beers. Because I think, I mean, we were doing some very innovative things. I mean, this is back in, in 99, uh, 2000 in offering very distinctive beers um, to the marketplace. But we were able to get, get places on tap. I mean, I, I knew a lot of publicans. Uh, a lot of them knew about my, my brewing uh, background, and we were able to get, get on. And I think that's what a lot of the smaller craft beers brewers have to do now is, you know, uh, get to know the publicans. And they, they, they always have uh, – uh, I, mean, I don't think any I, – I know no pub that really has total exclusivity of, to one of the major brewers. And so you're able to get your beers on somewhere, and then um, you get the customers asking for it. Because if, if say, a, a publican has a, a, a deal, a very lucrative deal, let's say, with one of the major brewers, but no one wants any of those beers, you know, the, the, the publican's in deep trouble, isn't he? Exactly. And, <laughs> it, and, and, uh, and I guess that's, but that's my point is, I, I think, and I think it's something that you've uh, said to me in the past when you brought out Han Premium um, back in the eighties. That you know, Australians had been told that a particular type of lager was pretty much all there was in beer, and you had these oddball Cooper's beers and maybe even Guinness, but that you know, lager was beer, and that you brought out a beer that had just yeah, you thought you could just put a little bit more hop character in, um, and you know, and, and it was very very successful. I guess the the, the the question I ask of the market at the moment is if the two big brewers um, are, are putting their beers out there, but there is very little space for some of the new beers to be showcased, can the market grow and can people be introduced to some of the new flavours? Uh, yes, I think they can. I mean, uh, I guess if the easiest way to introduce is by tap beer, but if you if you can't introduce by tap beer, uh, because you can't get your beer on tap somewhere, you know, get get to bottles out there and get people uh, tasting it and and wanting it and uh, you know getting sort of that uh, that wave action going of of, of more flavorsome beers. And uh, I think some of the publicans will say, well, you know, I I, I see everyone's been asking for these bottles. Maybe maybe I could get it on tap. Um, I think that's that's the way to go. I guess I've got um, two two questions following up to that though. Is then if, if if that's a way to market and to get people to try your beers, why are taps such a lucrative or such an attractive proposition to the big brewers? Why aren't they doing that? And secondly, um, you know, a, a lot of the fridges are dominated by similar contracts, which makes it very hard for you know um, uh, some of the contracts that I've been told about um, very much not just uh, for taps, but it's also for fridge facings. So, for example, mm-hmm. one brewer's beers have the most prominent facings. So, you know, it, 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 it's what, what you're saying is true, that it's, it's a good mm-hmm. way to get beers out, but it's certainly not something that the, the larger brewers want to do themselves. And secondly, their contracts mm-hmm. are also making that difficult as well. Mm-hmm. The... Um, um, to... 
give an example of, I know a number of years back, we wanted to try to, we were uh, with James Squire, and we're trying to get our beer on tap at a, a couple of pubs, and um, they, the publican said, oh, uh, I'm just setting up a whole new bank, but if you guys can pay me $20,000, I'll put one tap on, and another $10,000, i will put two on. Uh, but he, and I said, look, we, we just don't biz- do business that way. We want people to be asking for our products, but we're not, we're not going to pay you up front for that. And I, th- I think that's, uh, uh, I don't know whether that's happened to the small, the, the other small brewers or not, but, uh, that, that's just not the way to do business. But that's what, how we were approached at times, you know, when we tried to get on. They wanted us to, you know, put money right up front. And if you look at, you know, ten thousand dollars, and uh, that's that's a lot of money mm. for uh, for a small brewer to put up to to just get his beer on tap. And that's why we said, look, we do, we just don't do business that way. Where we put all of our money into our beers to making a better quality beer, and it's really up to you to decide whether you want to have it on tap. But is that uh, is that response? And I guess this is very much a chicken and the egg situation. You know, is it some publicans are asking for that sort of cash offering or, you know, uh, breweries offering that sort of uh, deal um, and creating an expectation that those will always be on um, on offer. Now, I know that there are some, having dealt with a lot of publicans myself, I know that they are, for the most part, very canny businessmen and want whatever they can get for free or, you know, get you paying for it. Um, but I, I get just as many saying, well, look, yeah. You know, with the dollars that we're offered, we'd be mad not to take it. Um, so it, it, it seems that there is a fault, um, for, for want of a better word, on, on, on both sides for those sorts of expectations. And it's, it's certainly something that's, that small breweries can't, um, can't meet. Well, one way that we got maybe got around that, uh, but, but not offering money, but actually offering uh, training, training, uh, special beer dinners, um, this type of thing. And I think that's where maybe the craft brewers can really come in. They can come into a, a place and and uh, have a, a tasting of all the, with all the staff and talking about how good all their different products are and maybe um, uh, not sponsoring but um, offering to um, uh, have a promotional beer dinner uh, at the place or a beer degustation. I know you've done a number of these yourself, but you know the the craft brewers have got to be out there. I mean, I'm, I'm out there at probably at least three or four times a month, uh, speaking about beer, speaking about craft beer, um, having uh, beer dinners, um, beer degustations. I mean, just like the winemaker is out there selling his product, and that's the way to get around that that uh, that cash thing. And and, uh, and, I, and and I think you're spot on. And in fact, you, you've acknowledged that Pete and I both um, do that sort of thing. Um, and a, a lot of what I learned about beer and food matching came from you. Um, and I, I need to pay full, full respect and uh, sort of bow down um, to, to to all that I learned from you and uh, and also Bill Taylor's book. But I guess um, that route is denied to, to many breweries as well. And using my own experience. Um, Late last year, uh, up until recently, I was based at a hotel um, in, in, in the city called uh, the Grand Central, and I've been doing very successfully a wide range of beers using a lot of Squires beers, um, Amber Ale with steak, one of the great matches, Porter with chocolate cake, another great match, I was using those a lot. 
but I also used uh, some of the others. Um, now, perhaps foolishly, the they changed the nature of their contracts or you know, signed very restrictive contracts, um, and suddenly I wasn't allowed to use beers that weren't Squires or um, Foster's beers in in my dinners. Um, so, again, if you know, and it comes down to the deals that the publicans are willing to put in place um, because they can always say no, no one's holding a gun to their head. But, you know, if, if these contracts are out there, then quite often they do prevent brewers from going in doing you know, beer dinners with, yeah. with, with with their own thing, which um, puts us back at, at, at that same square one about the contracts. Yes, right. I mean, I, 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 can, I can see that. Um, and we're, I mean, we operate fairly independently. I know I, I did a beer dinner in uh, outside of Adelaide up in the hills there with a uh, a brewer back there and we had uh, six courses and we had his beer and one of one of the squire's beers uh, matched up with each of the courses and we each kind of talked about it so we were able to you know have uh, a, a real comparison and a real innovation in different styles uh, and we, I think we had about 100 people at the, at the dinner but, We actually uh, wrote about that on Brews News and that's the sort of thing I would love to see more of um, because you know, your, your beers stand uh, with any in Australia I think it shows a lot of confidence in your product to do that um, and I guess that's the market that I would like to see happening where it's a uh, competition between flavor not competition between you know size advantages um which seems to be the the, the way the market has evolved uh, yes and i sometimes i know we, we've even done uh matching up uh local craft beers against uh, imported beers of the same style just to say to show people how much how much better uh, locally brewed beers are because of the uh, the oxidation and because of the aging of the um, the beers that are imported, and and that's it's just amazing. It really turns some turns some heads there. But we just have to see how we can get um, get more of that. I think more of those comparisons out there, and um, I think we we don't want to set we don't want to set the publicans up as as the bad guys. Even though sometimes maybe they are, you know, they they sign a a very lucrative contract and then uh, you know they're they're making money there and then they're they're trying to blame um, blame the big boys for <laughs> yes. signing an agreement with them. How do you how do you feel about that? <laughs> exactly. Well, that's and, and and that's where I said it's chicken and egg. You know, where where well, fault's not the right word, but you know. Who's asking and who's offering, um, and it, it's probably not um, unique. Pete, sorry, um, I've been weighing in the, the whole time. Is there something you wanted to? <laughs> well, I just thought uh, something that's that's probably worth doing, and particularly since we've got uh, someone like uh, Chuck speaking with us today. We've, we've talked a lot about tap contracts, but and I know that there is probably quite a a range of tap contracts, whereas I think the public perception might be that it's all sort of brewery loaded um, in their favour, uh, and that all tap contracts are, are fairly sort of you know uh, stamped out of the same die. Uh, I'd be interested to know, and I'm sure the the listeners would, uh, to know that there are, if there are, a range of different contracts. Also, um, following on from that, that. The Melbourne market, for example, that I'm heavily involved in, I know is quite different to the Sydney market or the Brisbane market, the Adelaide market. Um, Chuck, are there, are there, you know, it's not one size fits all, is it? Is it, uh, There are different contracts out there and perhaps you could tell us a little bit about that. 
Well, I mean, we, I can't, you know, talk specifically about contra the contracts because of the, you know, the confidentiality of, of the agreement. But uh, I mean, if uh, say, for example, that a, a brewery wants, you know, 100 percent exclusivity, which is something that uh, we, we never would do that because I mean, it, it's I think it's unfair to the public to demand something like that. But if if they do have something like that in a say a very lucrative area. Uh, in fact, I think we see this sometimes up in uh, in some of the ski areas. Now that we're getting the ski season started right yeah. now, uh, and or at uh, uh, universities uh, that where they they really they, they have kind of a, a, a captive market, you might say, and uh, there's all sorts of financial deals I think that that happen around those things. But if a public can come to me and say, "Look, you know, do you think I should sign this thing?" I always say, "Look, um, you always want to keep some." Some taps available for some of these these independent craft brewers because that's uh, what is is enticing people uh, to to stay in uh, consuming beer. I mean, rather than you know drinking you know ten schooners of a mainstream beer and then saying, oh gee, I've had too much of that, and I'm going on to the to the the whiskey or the wine now. But because of all these different flavors of beers that we have, you know, it's a uh, it's best to to, to keep it, keep it open. So they can do that, and a lot of publicans will work the two major brewers against each other, uh, and and end up maybe giving them each, let's say, forty percent and keeping twenty percent uh, uh, open for for other other uh, breweries that want to come in, uh, and of course most of the other little breweries coming in aren't going to have any any type of financial award as far as uh, helping uh, pay for a new. Um, uh, a new tap system, let's say, or as you were saying, I think uh, Matt earlier, you know, umbrellas or printing up menus or or all these other things that I think uh, that some of the larger breweries might do to to you know, might sweeten up the contract, let's say. But I think the, you know, the local tap houses have gone uh, have gone forward, you know, by putting in their own tap systems and and having a complete independence. Well, and and the, the the way they present it, I mean, Pete, you've probably seen the one in St. Kilda there. Uh, Very much. And then we've got one in uh, Darlinghurst here, and they don't even have badges on the on the taps. And it's up to the staff. Uh, they have a, a blackboard in the back, so they, it's very easy for them to, you know, change change what's on tap. But it, it's up to. And this is a key thing. We talked briefly about education there. You know, where we were actually out there training people. But that's really where I think the craft brewers can get in, and because uh, it, it's the staff in each of the outlets that actually sell the beer. And it's so prevalent in the in the local tap houses. We're actually looking at um, at, at speaking to Steve Jeffers from the the local tap house in uh, in an upcoming episode. Uh, and leading on from that, you'll also find if you think Matt's passionate, wait until you hear some of the feedback that we're going to get from our uh, our readers and our listeners. So <laughs> I'm sure that the, the whole look the the tap contract debate. To be fair, we've probably only just opened up rather than sort of you know nailed down. Um, and I'm sure there'll be um, other opinions that will come in and the. Uh, and in the written form, in terms of feedback, we'll we'll get a lot more uh, information and an opinion on on this particular. One. But yeah, I, I believe Steve and Guy at the Tap House started out originally with 
uh, at least uh, some form of contracts, uh, and then sort of moved on from there and, and thought, okay, yeah, we can we can stand on our own two feet now. And and, and yeah, they're probably a great example of, oh, of how it, yeah. how it how it can be done. Um, and look, there's there's really uh, at the local tap houses not a, a Matilda Bay beer or a James Squire beer. Uh, on offer. Well, as we've been able to, I mean, because of the popularity of the Squires, you know, they, they have one or two, actually, uh, almost two of our beers on tap all the time. And so their biggest sellers, I think, is our Golden Ale. And, um, that, uh, which is great. And we're, we're not, we're not paying them anything <laughs> just because of the demand for that. But, yeah. uh, and by their own admission, Chuck, particularly during summer, that's one of those beers, I guess, that we were talking about before. It's a great introductory beer. When people still walk into the tap house, they get off the off the tram, uh, the tram stop right out the front. Oh, here's a bar. Walk in and go, oh, hang on, you haven't got Carlton Drop. What have you got that tastes most like X? <laughs> Yeah. And, and 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 a golden ale or something like that, or not, not that golden ale tastes like Carlton Draft. No, no, but, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> that's that's no. what they're saying. It's not what they're asking. Uh, and the staff we we touched on uh, are terrific. Um, it is a great skill, and it's not it's not a fluke. Uh, it's something that is really instilled in them. Is that mm. listen listen to what they're asking, not what they're saying. Mm. You would like a nice, easy drinking, thirst quenching refreshing beer to start off your evening how about a x uh, yep, yep, exactly. and, that's, and it's a perfect example of how it how it can work mm-hmm. oh exactly rather than i think everyone used to you know they, they would suggest that people came in you know they would suggest they have a carlton draft or a two-week's new because those guys already knew what that tasted like and they didn't have to sell it they didn't have to sell it into the customer exactly and, but but because it, it was too much effort, <laughs> and and that's why I think it's great. You get the guys uh, really they're, they're educated and they're they're just like a familiar, you know, recommending different wines. And so they're out there, they're the beer familiar recommending the the beers, and that's a really important point to get to try to get across. Yeah, and, and I guess that's the, that's the, the 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 flip side. There's two sides to every story, and you know, uh, if. You, you head out of the metropolitan areas, which the small brewers want to target the biggest markets as well. But you know, you you, you see amber ale and golden ale um, outside of the the main markets that probably the small breweries aren't willing to target. And Pete and I have both just contributed to a, a new book called The Beer Lovers Guide to Australia, where we've looked at beer tourism and we've also been looking at you know the the topic of beer epiphanies, beers that have changed. Um, people's perceptions and turn them on to this growing world of craft beer. And I have to say that um, James Squire was one of the brands that came up regularly in, in the articles we ran a beer writing competition and uh, James Squire Amber Ale um, was one that really changed people's perceptions. Um, the beer diva um, Kiralee Wald, uh, Wildhorn talks about Porter, James Squire Porter as being her epiphany beer. Um, and with the greater reach that the big breweries have, I guess you guys have phenomenal capacity to create a market that may have been much slower developing if uh, if you guys weren't playing in it. So that yeah, was a statement, but uh, you, you, you can tell it. <laughs> do, you, do you agree? <laughs> we'll make it a yeah. question. Okay, well, that's, um, um, I think the easiest way to answer that is, I mean, as uh, as a, the, the brewmaster at, James Squire at Malt Trouble Brewery, we we really have the best of both worlds. I mean, we 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 have the independence of a small brewery, but we have the distribution uh, of a large brewery 
if you know what I mean. We're able to warehouse our beers at the at the different uh, uh, regional breweries that uh, Lime have across the country, and uh, distribute from there, and also um, take advantage if the publican wants to, if we have any of these. Um, uh, beer supply contracts with the publicans were able to to satisfy I think a lot of, of that demand you know for a for a craft beer and uh, Matt I think as you mentioned I think you know Foster's has that same same thing with Matilda Bay uh, Brewery uh, even though there's no longer a Matilda, Matilda Bay Brewery but they have some good brands out there and they're able to supply that um, through um, to, to the national national distribution systems and which I think that, that's why we've been able to um, really expand our market so well. I mean our, our sales were up like 20% last year um, but that's just part of that satisfying that demand uh, for craft beer and the, the James Squire beers have become you know well known but it's taken us over 10 years to establish that brand it's not something that's been happening overnight and it's that's what I think a lot of our and we've got some some great uh, great breweries down uh, down in Victoria. You know that uh, you know Mountain Goat uh, to name. I mean, there's a quite quite a number of, of people down there making some really good beers and and getting gradually getting increased distribution of those flavors and ales. But it, it, it just takes time. We've kept you on the line, uh, grilling you for uh, quite a while now. So we might look at some of the positives and uh, you know, talk about some talk about beer um, for a change, rather than the uh, tawdry world of business. Pete's got a favourite question that I'll throw over to him about parents and children. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, here at Brews News, it's it's becoming a bit of a, a, a an ongoing uh, gag, so to speak. But uh, yeah, no parent has a favourite child. But if you had to uh, nominate. What should we go, Matt? The, uh, Chuck's favourite beer that, that's come out uh, under his uh, either under his name or under I, his I, I tutelage. If, if, if uh, the brewery was burning down and you could only save one beer, Chuck, which one would it be? <laughs> no, I, I think I'd have to go back to the, the, maybe the, the the basic roots of that. Um, the of course the first beer that I mean every brewer likes to make his own beer likes likes to make a beer that he enjoys drinking and so of course the first one I made was the uh, the Han Premium that we talked about before and and that's still a great uh, a great tasting uh, Pilsner style beer um, but uh, probably my 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 fav- my really favorite one would probably be the James Carr Pilsner. But that's that's a beer. That's a, a, a true World Pilsner. Cup gold medal winning. Uh, yes, it's it's taken. Yeah. It's taken uh, you know gold medal, uh, which is first place in the World Beer Cup, uh, beating out all of the Czech um, the Czech Republic Pilsners. Uh, but you know it's something that's running forty bitterness units, uh, a fairly high um, apparent extract, uh, and just you know a lot of uh, Czech Saz hops. But just a real, uh, a real challenging beer, but uh, a great beer, particularly if you're having it with, uh, uh, you know, spicy food. Uh, but, you know, that that's probably would be my, my my really really favorite one. But it all depends on um, what you've been doing too. If you've been out mowing the lawn and you want a lawnmower beer, you know, something you can knock a few back. Uh, there's a lot of lot of good beers for that. You know, not just ones that we're brewed. Sundown you know, Lager to uh, yep, to name Sundown one. Or, yeah. Or uh, uh, Han Super Dry, for example. But uh, you know, there's uh, 
that there's a lot of good drinking beers out there that uh, not necessarily you know ones that uh, just that, that we're making I mean um, I mean Tui's New is an, is an excellent uh, thirst quencher like that I think Carlton Draft is a fairly good thirst quencher you know it's it's just there's a lot of beers out there that are just made for relaxing and refreshing and well, we've got some some great quality uh, lagers out there and of course you have the, the beautiful um, uh, Cooper's Ales the Sparkling Ale the Pale Ale I mean they're, they're great beers and speaking of uh, beers for occasions, uh, it, it's winter. It's uh, been quite chilly up here, and I've been enjoying a little bit of the Stout Noir or the Noir. It was Stout Noir last year, or Noir Stout last year, and Stout Noir this year. Is yes, that- we 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 just had a tap last year because we weren't able to get the bottles, <laughs> so we ended up just making some tap beer. This year we've we're able to source the six forty mil bottle, so we have that out, and uh, it's. Uh, there's only a couple hundred cases left in the warehouse. Uh, warehouses across the country. It's just going like crazy. I, I just can't believe it. Can you tell us a little bit about about how you came up with that formula, or how you came up with the recipe for that one? Yeah, that that was something that uh, I mean, it's not me that's done it. We've got a, a great team of brewers here, and uh, they had researched a little bit and discovered that licorice had been used in herbal medicines in order to deliver the medicines to the uh, the outer meridians of the body. And they said, well, now what's going to happen if we put some of that in? Will it, it tend to kind of smooth out and bring together all the different malts that we're using, the different hops that we're using, and just kind of fill out that middle palate? And uh, I was just amazed at uh, what, it, what it did. I mean, we used about, see, our brew size here is about 5,000 liters. I think we used about just over 12 kilograms of powdered licorice root that we added uh, to the kettle at the end of the boil just before we went to the whirlpool. And, and just the way it just brings those flavors in, but not being like a, a licorice lolly or anything like that. You know, just a touch of anisine that comes through. You're it's just amazing. Talking about the health benefits, do we pick it up at a bottle shop or a natural food store, Chuck? <laughs> <laughs> or probably all of the above. But, uh, you know, I, I think any, any specialty uh, uh, bottle shop will have that. Uh, and it it comes in uh, a dozen uh, a dozen bottles uh, in, in the case of six forty mil. Uh, probably we're probably selling more individual bottles than we are the whole case lot. It, it, it's that sort of beer, and people are shifting towards buying individual bottles rather than seeing beer as a carton only purchase, aren't they? Yes, yes, they are. I mean, just so they can try it out. Um, I know we, we, I was up in Brisbane a couple of weeks ago and we, uh, uh, Andrew and I were, we, we launched it at the, uh, at the archive. And, uh, you know, we were handing out small samples. And of course, the real connoisseurs, we decided, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a larger glass. And so they were, they were drinking, it's about two standard drinks, you know, per glass. But it's absolutely beautiful, beautiful tasting beer. Um- Chuck, what's the uh, what's the go with the the mad brewers versus because we sort of we I guess as a uh, as a consumer public we got uh, acclimatized to the malt shovel or the James Squire uh, seasonal releases and then all of a sudden these mad brewers came along. How, how did that come about? Well, I think the the, the easiest way to explain that is that. Uh, you know, we I, we talked previously about this this great brewing team that we have here, and they're they're all very innovative uh, guys, and they they want to be developing new new types of beer. And we've got a, a a small pilot plant here, a 120 liter uh, pilot plant, which I think uh, any any true Australian would love to have in his shed. <laughs> 
to, to brew up these specialty beers. And so we, we brew up these beers, and then uh, we all decide, well, you know, what, what do we think about that? I mean, it's a, a new brand, uh, a new style, um, and then we decide, well, let's put that out as a Mad Brewer's uh, limited release. And uh, uh, as opposed to, I mean, we, we, still, we still do these other limited releases in the, in the six-packs, but this one is just a, an easier one to get to the market because you don't have to develop a, a six-pack and, you know, all this additional costs of, of trying to put packaging together. And we just do it as a, um, a 640 mil bottle, loose pack in a, in a carton. And uh, just to, uh, I, I, I guess I could say trial out the market. I mean, if, if something is an overwhelming success, then we might consider doing it again. We might consider, um, you know, launching it as a mainstream beer. And we had a limited release of the Sundown Lager. And it was so popular that we brought it back as a as a permanent release. Same thing happened. Same, same thing happened with the Golden Ale. With the Golden now, Ale, now, yeah. Now, now, the it's our, now it's our biggest seller. Biggest seller. Yeah. yeah. Will we be what? seeing the uh, Han Millennium Ale coming back in at, at, at any time <laughs> soon? Then. That's a, that's a good question. I mean, that was something we produced. Uh, uh, actually, did two batches of it. We had the the Han Millennium Ale. Uh, 1999, and Bill Taylor was very much involved with both of those, and uh, then the the Han Vintage 2000, the year after that, and um, oh, those those were great tasting beers. And in fact, we I still have a couple of cartons left. We do it on some special tastings, and it, it almost tastes like a cross between a um, a Chimay Red and a, a good uh, Musket because of the raisiny flavors that come through. I mean, that was a that was a great tasting beer, but in the typical large brewery fashion, you know, when we couldn't clear it out in six months, we just kind of discounted and put it out. And rather than saying, look, this is a beer to savor, this is a beer to, to put in your cellar for a while, and it's, it's just delivering great flavors now. Is it true that um, the initial James Squire, um, if you like, the, the, the branding idea, uh, was offered to Tui's as a like a you know here is a premium brand and it was rejected and then you sort of came in and said well if you don't want it I will and I'll create the Malt Shovel Brewery. Yeah, yeah, that was that was that was part of it. I mean, I was looking for a brand then. We were I wanted to do more the the flavorsome ales along with of course you know uh, flavorsome pilsner of course, but um, the yeah no it was um, the, the the concept just wasn't taken up by by our marketing guys then. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure why, but uh, I thought it was a great idea. And I, I wasn't able to, at the time, you know, have, uh, call it the Han specialty range of beers or something like that, because the Han premium was going quite well then. And and, and that was being driven more by, you know, by Lion Nathan, and, which was good. I mean, I was still a spokesman for it, but I wanted to start up something different. And when I discovered the history of James Squire, I said, this is great. And then we ended up getting a historian. We actually had a historian, a guy uh, who just got his PhD in early Australian brewing history, and uh, a guy named Dr. David Hughes. He's working for the Treasury down in Canberra. We got him as a historian. He checked out all the stories, and uh, away we went. I think the whole thing about making, you've got to make a good beer, but then you've got to have an authentic story behind it. And we have we have discussed that before. Yeah, and that's and, and that's what we have. And all of our beers come from the brewer. You know, it, it's not like you, I think some of the larger companies, uh, 
you have a, a, a marketing brief or something, and then the brewers try to scurry around and make it. And and our beers actually come from the brewer's heart, come from the brewer's passion. And we make a really good quality beer, and we, we get it out there. Could I just we, stand, have, we stand behind it. Can I just ask one question about the the, the, the line in that? And you, you're exactly right. You, you can't have a good beer if no one will buy it because it's pointless. Um, and and the, the Squire brand is one of the most interesting ones uh, on the market. But is there a difference between saying that our beers are brewed in the tradition of James Squire um, on the one hand and, you know, um, I, I think I've even seen in, in, in the marketing at some stage, you know, um, our, our links to James Squire or something like that when really there aren't any links to James. You know, yeah. There's well, a difference between taking the name and brewing in the tradition of and creating that subtle linkage to a, a, a much older brewery. I think that's a very good point because if we got the original recipe as close as we could, we took a look at what he was making and um, I think we had to modify it a little bit because if we had brewed exactly what he had produced, was producing in the early 1800s in Australia, it would have been you know, been served warm. It would have been cloudy and would have been flat and we would have gotten no butter to drink it, you know. And, and and so we had to we really modeled it after uh, an English brown ale, and uh, a little bit like Newcastle brown ale, but not as sweet on the finish. We used some uh, some slightly citrusy hops, uh, the Willamette hop that was grown in Tasmania rather than back in Oregon in the states, and we used that as a late hop addition to give it just a little bit of a of a citrus hop finish to to clean out the palate to clean out the. Using a 20% crystal malt, you get a little bit of a toffee, caramely type flavor, but just enough to clean out the palate. And, uh, and it was and it was very distinctive in the glass, you know, big creamy head and a uh, deeper color than anything else out there in the market. And I think that's what sold it. Now, look, we know you're a busy man. We've kept you for a long time. Uh, I would genuinely like to say thank you very much uh, for coming on and being willing to be open and uh, con- confront this issue and also for uh, all of the beers that uh, Pete and I and uh, most of our listeners have uh, I- enjoyed over the time. Chuck, thank you very much okay. for, for coming on Radio Brews News. Okay, right. Thanks, Chuck. Thank you, guys. And we just want those craft brewers to continue making some of those those really great beers that they're doing. Well... That was a discussion about tap contracts, uh, James Squire, and the meaning of beer. Um, Prof, what do you think? Incredible. It, it, look, it was terrific, uh, as you intimated in your introduction uh, <laughs> to, to Chuck. We were definitely expecting that uh, if one of the big brewers uh, was going to offer somebody to us, it would have been somebody, I guess, uh, more in a suit rather than rubber boots. Uh, and we certainly weren't expecting... Uh, I guess to get the, you know, one of the legends of the Australian brewing scene, and certainly probably the first person we've, we've talked a little bit about, you know, brewers uh, putting their name to beers or being associated with a brand. I guess Chuck Hahn, uh, you can't get more Hahn than Hahn. Uh, he was probably the first one that that uh, where a brewer was actually part of the, you know, the branding of the beer. Um, it, yeah, it, it, it's a little bit like they're normally, uh, you know, super groups, you know. The, the brewers' names were never used, uh, but it's sort of a little bit like he was the uh, John, Paul, George, or Ringo, where uh, you know you, you, you've got a brand, but then you also have a lead singer. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And he, yeah, sort of the, a pioneer in more in more ways than one. And 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 you know, props to to Lion Nathan for well, I don't know whether the, the the listeners will think that they you know offered up 
you know, a sacrifice in the way of throwing to the lines or, you know, a a, a spokesman of such high calibre, which I think says a lot about Radio Brews News as well. Yeah, and I'd like to flatter myself and think that, but, uh, I mean, certainly it's been something that... um, well, since Brews News, Radio Brews News started, we've been uh, approaching all manner of people to come on and talk about the issue, um, and we've been met with uh, some fairly quizzical talks about uh, you know, exactly why, what issue there is, um, mm. and I think the discussion today showed that there is is an issue. Um, it certainly shows that there's two sides to it, and uh, you know, look, all I can do is uh, you know say that it, it shows great confidence um, from Line Nathan, um, who. We and James Squire, both of whom we've sort of said good things and bad things about in the past um, for, for various reasons, as is our uh, as is our want as independent sort of beer journalists. But look, they, they came on, they answered the questions, um, and it's for the listeners to decide, um, you know, where where it lies because there certainly is a, a continuum of uh, points of view. I can't help thinking, Matt, that uh, this is just the beginning of the discussion, or perhaps the halfway mark. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> there's more juice in this one left. No, I, I, I suspect, um, as with many things, that we might be starting a discussion with this, which is good, which beer is a conversation. The more it's I've talked about... Yeah. So, wait, wait, I've, I've read that somewhere you recently. You copyright that or something. Trademark it. So, somebody, um, will, somebody will pinch that and it'll end up on the uh, beer label or something. Um, yeah, so uh, just, I don't think I said at the start, I'll have to put it in the show notes, but this was recorded on, now it's the 29th of June. Um, we actually have a interview with Brennan Varus that uh, we recorded before this one, but I think we might run it afterwards with all apologies to Brennan, not that he's not a worthy uh, guest or anything like that, but I'd really like to see this go up. So uh, our uh, listeners, listen for next week, you'll listen to hear Brennan Varus uh, talk about sour issues as well. Um, only his sourness is in the beer, uh, not in the discussion. So, thank you very much for listening, Pete. Thank you very much again for pulling all of this together and being the executive producer who I do not have to pay. My pleasure, unless Matt. Some, <laughs> unless some advertisers come on board. You know that I do this every week just for the sound of that umpa music that I can hear <laughs> rushing in. Speaking of which, I hear the band striking up. There we go. Good on you, Pete. Talk to you again soon. Good, mate. Bye.